We've spent several sessions now studying the Holy Spirit. Now let's see if we can pull it all together and see what it really means for you. resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days on the earth teaching and explaining and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom. Then on day 40, Jesus ascended into heaven. He had opened his followers' minds to understand the scriptures. He gave them orders. You go into all the world and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He said that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then He said, you stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. They watched him ascend into heaven. He went up physically and bodily. Two angels were standing there and explained that he will come back exactly the same way, bodily, exactly that same way. And so Jesus went home. He went home to the right hand of God the Father. The disciples went to Jerusalem to wait. They understood, they got it. They understood the Old Testament. They understood the gospel. They understood the kingdom. They were prepared. They were ready. They were excited, but they had to be empowered, empowered. They waited for 10 days. Then 50 days after the resurrection, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told them that he would. He had told them that it would be better if he went away so that he could send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be their empowerer. He would be their helper. He would be their comforter. He would guide them into all truth. He would be in them and he would never leave them. He would be just like Jesus. He is God. In scripture, he is called the breath of the almighty. He has all of the attributes of God. There is no sense in which he is not God. He is as holy as the father. He is as powerful as the father. He is as gracious and merciful and loving as the son. As believers, we dwell in the middle of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three members are the same in character. They're the same in purpose, the same in power. They glorify one another. They live in perfect agreement and perfect unity. When Jesus prayed for the church, Father, let them be one as you and I are one, he was praying for Trinity unity. Jesus said, you shall receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Okay, what was the power for? It was for witnessing. It was for sharing and telling the world that Jesus is alive and what he is like and what his gospel is, what he has come to do. We are to show the world what Jesus is like by the power of the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit was given, the Great Commission could not advance. Think about that word with me for just a second. We say commission, and rightfully so. But when you break the word down and look at it, we're looking at commission. The prefix co means with, together, fellow partners. So Jesus taught that after he left the earth, his followers were to carry the message of the gospel to all the nations, but he would empower them with the Holy Spirit. He would co-mission with them. He would partner with them. And so the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. And on that day, there was a God-designed event for sure. God designed the event to place the Holy Spirit in the believer and to place the believer in the Holy Spirit. Those two things happened. There was visible expression of it. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father began to teach what life was going to be like now with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so on that first day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the church was born. And it was empowered that the church might show Christ to the world because Christ has gone home. He went home to be with the Father. Every believer is connected to Christ, forming the body of Christ. All believers then are also connected to each other. The church is the body of Christ because the church is made up of believers who house Christ. He lives in believers in this world. So we are his temple. We are his temple both individually and collectively. As his temple, we are to cooperate. There's that prefix co again. He's going to co-mission with us. He's going to partner with us. And we're going to co-operate. He's going to partner with us. We're going to partner with him in his operation. How do we do that? By obedience. By doing what he says, when he says, the way he says to do it. So God has a part and I have a part. His part is to provide power and guidance for victorious living. My part is to make the choice to obey him. When I make the choice to obey him, he can do his part. Romans 12, chapter 2, I'm sorry, Romans 12, verse 2 tells us, that we are responsible for presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. The sacrifice is that we are to choose to do life His way. That's the sacrifice. I sacrifice, I give up doing life my way, and I choose to do life His way. 
living, a living sacrifice, means that we remain alive after becoming a sacrifice. He's going to use us. But this position of being a sacrifice is one where I'm obeying him, one where he is living through me because I am allowing him to make the decisions. This scripture says that this is our reasonable service of worship. He says, this is the reasonable thing for you to do. It's the, it's the smart thing to do. It is the successful, victorious thing to do. When we surrender, we simply yield the right of way to God. We just simply say, I'm going to do this your way. You go first. I'm going to follow you. You teach me. You put your thoughts in my mind. You put your words in my mouth. You put your step in my feet. And so we begin to surrender to him. We surrender to his way. We give up our own way. We yield the right of way of our, li right of, way of our lives to God. And then when we do, there's this growing manifestation of Christ in us. What does that mean? It means we're going to look like him more and more. We're going to act like him more and more. We're going to talk like him more and more. And you know how we're going to know that? Because the fruit of the spirit begins to show up in us more and more and more. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You want to know how to know if somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit? Or whether or not those things are present in their lives on a regular basis. Are we going to mess up sometime? You're mighty right, we are, yes. But what are we going to do? We're going to come back to this. And as we continually surrender to Him and His ways, then we're going to look like Him. We're going to sound like Him. We're going to be revealing to the world what Jesus is like. When we're saved, we are immersed into Christ. We're placed into him. And we are enveloped by the Holy Spirit at the same time. So simultaneously, when we are saved, we are placed into him and he is placed into us. What a position for us to be in. He in us, us in him. Now understand, this is not just being associated with him. This is not just knowing about him and being able to drop his name. Romans 6 says we are united with him. That's an interesting word. Think about it for a minute. United with him means a union. It is a, a coming together. It is a union and an intimacy that is so thorough, it is inseparable. Can't take it apart. Think about this. Think of a biscuit. Most people like biscuits. Do you make biscuits? How do you make a biscuit? You get some flour, you get some shortening, you get some, I use buttermilk, okay? And what do you do? You mix the shortening in with the flour, you cut it in and then you add the buttermilk and you begin to process it. You begin to work it together. My grandmother always used her hand. And you begin to work it together until you have a lump of dough. And when you have that lump of dough, then some people, my grandmother would take a piece, roll it out, flatten it out with her hand and put it on the pan to bake. 
I have to pat it out and use a biscuit cutter so that they look like biscuits. And so when we've done that and we bake those biscuits, there you've got a biscuit. Now, if you came to me and said, okay, take it back to its original position. I want you to take this biscuit and convert it back to the flour, the shortening, and the buttermilk. Can't do it. Why? Because of union, because it is inseparable. And so what we see here is that we are baked with him. We are in union with him. We are united with him as believers, and it is, we are, it is inseparable. We cannot be separated from him. We cannot be separated from each other as the body of Christ, which is the church. The Christian life is not me trying to be like Jesus. A lot of us maybe have spent a lot of years trying to do that. Well, I'm gonna to try to be like Jesus today, and we work and we try to act like Jesus. Let me tell you, the right way to think about it is me allowing the Holy Spirit in me to be who Jesus is. That's how come I yield to him. That's how come I give him the right of way. That's how come we come together and, and he just he's just there and we are the conduit. We are the vessel through which the Holy Spirit can flow. And that's why we don't want to quench him. When we quench him, it's when we stop him up and he can't flow through us. He can't freely flow through us as a conduit because we've got sin and junk there that's preventing that flow. And when we do that as believers, then he is grieved. Those are the two sins that believers can commit against the Holy Spirit. We quench him and when we quench him, we grieve him. So I want to learn to allow the Holy Spirit to be Jesus in me and to be able to flow freely through me so that the world around me sees Jesus, how he is, how he behaves, how he thinks. His presence in our lives is God's mark of ownership. One of our lessons we did was on being sealed by the Holy Spirit. This seal is an authenticating mark. The Holy Spirit in you is the authenticating mark that gives eternal credibility with the Father. So when the Father is looking at all the people in the world, he's seeing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This one's mine, this one's mine, this one's mine. Because that is the branding, that is the, that is the mark, the seal that he has put on us so that we are identified by the seal of the Holy Spirit, the mark of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to read about that further, you can do that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. But that seal of his presence is your guarantee of a heavenly home and all of the blessings of God. That is, that is God's down payment. It is what he uses to, to seal us, to, to assure that we are always recognized as his. So that indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the time of our salvation is important. It is necessary. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift to us. And with that gift of salvation, we have 
the presence of the Holy Spirit coming into us to mark us, to empower us, to set us apart. And with his presence, when he comes into us, every believer gets a birthday present. That is a gift, at least one gift of the Holy Spirit. What are those gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, it may be mercy. It may be giving. It may be organization. It may be the gift of service. It may be the gift of teaching. The New Testament gives us a number of those gifts. And so he gives us a gift so we can enjoy it. No, he gives us those gifts so we can serve the body of Christ so that we can be a part of edifying the body of Christ, building up the body of Christ to look like Jesus. So why? So that the world will see through the body of Christ what Jesus is really like, what he's like. Think about it. The very same spirit that hovered over the surface of the deep in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 2 that same spirit is the spirit that fully indwelt Jesus Christ. And he is the same spirit that indwells every believer. That spirit, that spirit. I love that concept in Genesis of the spirit of God just hovering. Sometimes when I have things to pray about, I pray that prayer, Holy Spirit, just hover over. Just hover over that situation because he's available to do that. Also, he is the spirit of truth because he always, always works through the truth. What is the truth? It is the incarnate Christ and it is the written word of God. The Holy Spirit is going to use the word of God to do whatever his assignment is that he needs to accomplish in this world. He's going to use the word of God in you. That's why it's so important for us to be in this word, to let this word become one with us. We're going to, scripture sometimes calls it about eating it. It becomes one with us. We consume it and it occupies our being. He is the spirit of truth. He is also called counselor because he gives wisdom and guidance he gives wisdom and guidance for living and for understanding the truth. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. If you're having trouble understanding the Bible, when you sit down to read, you just ask him, say, Father, you know, Holy Spirit, reveal your truth to me. Show me what it is right here that I'm reading that I need to know and understand. Cause me to believe it. Give me faith so that I can surrender to it. He is also called the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. He is the Holy Spirit because he is totally separate from sin. God the Father, totally separate from sin. Jesus the Son, totally except, except uh, from sin. Totally separate from sin. The Holy Spirit is totally separate from sin. Now, certainly when Jesus became the sacrifice for sin, he took on all the sins of the world, but that was sin from the outside placed on him. It was never sin in him. He is totally separate from sin. You know, many people find the Holy Spirit to be uh, mysterious and confounding. There are a lot of um, 
people today who may be afraid a little bit of the Holy Spirit because one of the reasons that I think people fear the Holy Spirit is that Satan will counterfeit some things of the Holy Spirit so that we believe wrong things about the Holy Spirit. We expect wrong things of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said he would be the ultimate source of truth and comfort. Truth and comfort. He is a trusted friend who offers us encouragement and direction. Never forget this. The Holy Spirit's primary role is to exalt Christ. The Holy Spirit's primary role is to exalt Christ and to elicit praise for Christ from God's people, from believers. That's what he's about. So when you see an activity going on that is attributable, some people are attributing to the Holy Spirit, ask this question, does it look like Jesus? Does it look like the Jesus that was revealed in the Word of God? Now, how is he going to exalt Christ in us? Well, he might do this by opening our eyes to our sin. Remember, he's going to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So he's going to, at times, open our eyes to our own sin. He may open our eyes to sin around us, but he's going to give us also assurance of our salvation as the one who dwells in us that keeps us saved. We are secure in him. He's going to pray for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When I'm praying and I don't know what to say, I just let the Holy Spirit pray for me. Groanings that cannot be uttered, so it may well not come out of my mouth if it can't be uttered. There's nothing bizarre or irrational about being a Spirit-filled believer. That's not anywhere in Scripture. A Spirit-filled believer is one who is controlled by the Spirit. And when we are controlled by the Spirit, we act and think just like Jesus, just like Jesus. So let's not what, forget what a privilege it is to belong to God. Turn with me, if you will, for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we close out this study. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this in verse 9. He says, but you believers are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, if we track back through verses 4, 5, and 6, we see how he sets up verse 9. Let's do that quickly. Verse 4. He says, and coming to him as a living stone. So in verse four, we see that it all starts with coming to him, coming to him. It starts when we come to the Lord. Verse five, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is my reasonable spiritual sacrifice? To make my life a living sacrifice. To do what he says. To surrender to doing what he says. But also we see here in verse 5, our union with him. We become the house. 
in which the Spirit dwells. We are His temple. As living stones, we are joined together to the living stone, capital letters, Jesus Himself. And we also see that we're a holy priesthood. What does that mean? It means we have access to His presence and we are here to point others to Jesus. That's what a priest does, points to Christ, makes a bridge to Christ. Verse 6, I love it. He who believes in him shall not be disappointed. He who believes in him, not just knows about him, but has surrendered to him, shall not be disappointed. We are secure in the promise of the word of God. Look at verse 7. This translation says, This precious value then is for you who believe. Literally, in the original language, it says, To those who believe he is precious. To those who believe he is precious. Do you believe that Christ is precious? Is he precious to you? See, being a Christian means that Christ is precious to you and you have the privilege of loving him, of communing with him, of being in union to him. Then here the writer sets up a contrast, verses 7 and 8. This precious value then, or to those who believe he is precious, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, Jesus, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to the doom they were also appointed. So there's the contrast. Now look up quickly at verse 9. It begins with the word, but. But you, but you are a chosen race. He's not talking about skin color here. He's talking about family. He's talking about kindred. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But he says, you are a chosen family. You are God's chosen family, a royal priesthood. We rule and reign with him, a holy nation. We are a set apart people. We are separated unto God from sin for a relationship. He's taken us out of darkness into his marvelous light, out of death into life, out of the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of God's dear son. The Holy Spirit produces that. Why? Verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous Are you there? What does Jesus promise that the Holy Spirit will do in your life? Let's make a list. He will dwell within you. He will be your helper. He will guide you into all truth. He will comfort you. He will pray for you. He will show you things to come. He will never leave you, and He will take you to heaven. The Holy Spirit is a precious gift that was released when Jesus went home to heaven. 
The Holy Spirit of God is available to live within you when you change your mind about your sin, when you decide you don't want to do it anymore. You don't want to do your own way anymore. You want to do His way. That's repentance. When you change your mind about your sin and by faith invite Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you're already a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you for what purpose? To empower you to tell the world and show the world what Jesus is like. So our challenge, one of two things, invite him in to your heart if you've never done that before. Or if you've already done that and you're a believer, then go tell somebody. And may the Lord fill this land with His message through His church. Amen.